This message is provided by Bridgeway Community Church. Thanks for tuning in. Well, good morning, church. It's, gr- it's great to be here with you on this Memorial Day weekend. Welcome. My name is Justin. I'm on staff here uh, with the student ministries as the youth pastor. So I'm that dude that gets to hang out with teenagers. But every once in a while, uh, I get to show up here on a Sunday morning as well and speak with you all. And so grateful to be here with you this weekend on this holiday weekend as well. And uh, when I realized that I'd be preaching in the middle of this Revelation series, it actually brought me back to my college days uh, because back in college, I, I actually was involved in some intense studies in this book of Revelation. As a matter of fact, I was a part of a semester-long class and course all on the book of Revelation. And I got to just put it out there. I remember as I went into the class, I had a ton of questions. But when I came out of the class, I had way more questions even. And so if you're with us here this morning and you're like, listen, uh, this, this book has been intense. I get it. I'm with you. Uh, this is obviously, Pastor Ron has set us up super well with this and telling us that this is apocalyptic writing. And so it looks a little bit different than a lot of the other books in the Bible. And so uh, I'm just grateful to be able to get to follow up Ron's amazing message last week. If you did not have a chance to listen to it or you weren't here last week, make sure you you go back online or our YouTube channel, check it out because uh, I, I really think he just did an awesome job of, of, of presenting some really tough content in a way that was really digestible. It, it just made it a, a lot easier to navigate and process it well. So again, if you haven't seen Pastor Ron's message last week on chapter four and all that is entailed with heaven in the book of Revelation, I, I encourage you to do so. And as Ron mentioned last week, our author of Revelation, John, uh, is, is being given this image of heaven in the chapter. And so he sees heaven in a futuristic way. And that continues into what we're going to be talking about this morning in chapter 5. Again, the, the book of Revelation is apocalyptic writing. So that means it can go from past to present to future without any type of heads up for the reader as to when it's doing so. And so it can be tough to decipher at times between which time frame we're reading in. But I'm here to tell you this morning uh, that this week as we're hitting chapter 5, we're, I can tell you right up front that we're going to be doing some futuristic reading of heaven again. And so John, again, is given this, this more than a glimpse, this, this massive image of what heaven is going to look like. And so we're going to do something uh, that everybody loves hearing that we're going to do and that we're going to read the whole chapter this morning. Now, here's the great part. The ch- uh, chapter 5 in Revelation is actually a shorter chapter, which is why I want to read the whole thing this morning is because I just think there's pieces of it from the, the beginning to the middle to the end that are just pertinent to this story of of Revelation in the book of Revelation that we're going through. And so I want to start right at the beginning. Revelation chapter 5, verse, verse 1, and we're going to go through 10. Then we're going to press pause before we hit the last three verses. So you can open up your Bibles in the seat backs in front of you or follow along on the screens right behind me as well. So Revelation 5, 1 through 10, and it says this. Again, this is John speaking. Then I saw in the right hand of him who sat on the throne 
a scroll with writing on both sides and sealed with seven seals. And I saw a mighty angel proclaiming in a loud voice, who is worthy to break the seals and open the scroll? But no one in heaven or on earth or under earth could open the scroll or even look inside it. I wept and wept because no one was found who was worthy to open the scroll or look inside. And then one of the elders said to me, do not weep. See, the lion of the tribe of Judah, the root of David, has triumphed. He is able to open the scroll and its seven seals. Then I saw a lamb, looking as if it had been slain, standing at the center of the throne, encircled by the four living creatures and the elders. The lamb had seven horns and seven eyes, which are the seven spirits of God sent out into all the earth. And he went and took the scroll from the right hand of him who sat on the throne. And when he had taken it, the four living creatures and the 24 elders fell down before the lamb. Each one had a harp, and they were holding golden bowls full of incense, which are the prayers of God's people. And they sang a new song, saying this, You are worthy to take the scroll and to open its seals, because you were slain. And with your blood, you purchased for God persons from every tribe and language and people and nation. You have made them to be a kingdom and priests to serve our God, and they will reign on the earth. So I know, I just threw a, a large chunk of scripture at you from this chapter. And so here's what I want to do now. I know we just read it all in one big piece and I want to go back to the beginning of it and I want to break down this passage with you. And again, the focus of this text, which is the first section of chapter five, is the scroll. As were the focus of chapter four, as, as Ron brought up last week, was heaven. Instead, chapter five, the, the focus is, I'm sorry, whereas the focus of chapter four was the throne this chapter transitions to the focus being the scroll. And so we're going to look again. I want to look just at first one because I think when we break this down, it's, it's easier to all of a sudden go through and understand what is being said. So let's break this down. Revelation 5.1 again says this. Then I, John, saw in the right hand of him who sat on the throne, that's God, a scroll with writing on both sides. I'll pause there for a second. Because I think... I think there's this, if the focus of this chapter is the scroll, then I think there's a lot of important dynamics belonging to the scroll that we should, that we should touch upon. One of them is this, is that the scroll had writing on both sides. Now, this wasn't common for this time at all. I know this is futuristic, but in the time that John's writing this, it's not common for scrolls to have writing on both sides. It's, it's common for, writing to, for the scrolls to have writing on one side, the front side, which is the inside of the scroll as you open it. And yet this one has writing on both sides, meaning there must be just a ton of information in this particular scroll, so much so that the scroll almost can't handle it. It's completely covered front and back with writing. And then it also says this, and sealed, so scroll with writing on both sides, and sealed with the seven seals. It mentions that it's sealed seven times. 
typically when a scroll was finished, it was fastened closed with strings. And then these strings where they were balled up into a knot, and the knots were placed into wax to create these seals. And so this scroll has seven strings with seven wax seals tied into knots, locking this thing up. And so all the seals actually, in order to open this thing, all these wax seals had to be broken in order for someone to open this thing and read it. And so now as far as the scroll itself goes the con- and the contents of it, a lot of theologians have landed on, on this scroll being God's will or God's settlement of the affairs of the universe, which is a big, massive deal, right? And why maybe this scroll is the focus and so important of cha- in chapter 5. And this is based on the idea that under Roman law, wills, were the type of documents commonly sealed with the number seven seals. But nobody knows for certain that this is what the scroll is. Theologians have landed on this, but nobody really knows for certain. In actuality, the content of the scroll isn't the focus here. The content isn't the focus, but the one who can open it is the focus and so we look at verses two to four. And again, it says this, and I, and I, John, saw a mighty angel. And so there's speculation that this mighty or strong angel is, that it's referring to is Gabriel. But again, nobody knows for sure. And it's as if this angel in this passage has searched the entire world and universe to find someone who would be considered worthy enough to open up this scroll, and yet it seems as though the angel comes up empty. And yet the challenge that seems to be called out by the angel is to all creation in heaven and earth. And yet the task, this task of opening up this scroll would take somebody above creation, not in it. And then we see way down here that our author, John, weeps. It says, I wept. And I wept because no one was found who was worthy to open the scroll or to look inside. And it's as if he knows just how important this scroll is and just how important it is for it to be opened up and read. And because seemingly no one can do so, it spells disaster for the entire world. And that's why we see that John weeps and weeps. Now I want you to remember this in particular because I'll come back to it briefly in a little bit. And so we look again at verses five in part of the first part of verse six. This is my favorite part of this chapter. I want you to check out the juxtaposition that happens in this text. You see, one of the elders in heaven basically says to John, hey, there's no reason for tears because the lion of the tribe of Judah has triumphed. And then it's as if I imagine John looking over, expecting to see this triumphant lion, and instead he sees this slain lamb. And he's got to be thinking, what? I'm confused. I was just told that there's this triumphant lion who can open up the scroll. And as I look, I don't see a lion, but I see a slain lamb. And yet, church, I can't help as I read this, but think that isn't this one of the most perfect pictures 
of Jesus. I I don't, if this isn't one of the most perfect pictures of Jesus as the lion and the lamb, I don't know what is because Jesus is the lion, the triumphant lion. And yet Jesus also is the sacrificial lamb. And as the lion, he's strong. He's, He's a hero. He's the king of the beasts. And yet also as the lamb, he's, He's so queer, he, he's so clearly and unequivocally the image of sacrifice, of full humility and gentleness and love. This is so clearly the picture and image of Jesus and how his life and his sacrifice made him the only one qualified and worthy to open up and read this scroll, let alone even look at it. And so again, we look at the second part of verse six and then verse seven. I can't gloss over this as we're going through Revelation. We see lots of text like this where, it, it, man, it has us asking a whole lot of questions. And so I don't want to gloss over the fact that it says the, the lamb had seven horns and seven eyes. And then the text tells us which are the seven spirits of God sent out into all of the earth. But there's more to it as well. Because the seven, the seven horns are the mark of omnipotence, which refers to God being all-powerful. And then the seven eyes are the mark of omniscience, which refers to God having complete or maximal knowledge. And so you have this imagery in this text that at first just seems wild for wild's sake, but it symbolizes so much more and it represents a perfect picture of who God is. And then to summarize verses eight through 10, the creatures and the elders all fell down and worshiped the lamb, playing their harps all the while singing new songs. And this is actually the the piece of, of scripture that we get this image. If you've ever seen angels playing harps in cartoons or in movies or anything like that. That literally comes from this passage. This is where that originated from. And so there you have it. This is the first section of this chapter. And as we read through it, it's just undeniable that there's some density to it. I bet as, as, as you read that this morning, none of you in here knew that the most fun thing you'd be doing on Memorial Day weekend would come from the book of Revelation, right? <laughs> and yet, lo and behold, here we are. But I want to be real here. A lot of us, as we read through the book of Revelation, we don't think, yeah, that is a jolly good time. A lot of the time when we read through the book of Revelation, it can feel like us, like we're stuck in the mud. Like we read something like the lamb had seven horns and seven eyes, and we just sit there on that piece, and we're like, what is that? What does that even mean? God, what does that mean to me in my life? What, what could that possibly, how could that possibly impact me? And we feel at times stuck in the mud as we read through a book like this with apocalyptic writing. You ever been stuck in the mud before, literally? Or have you ever been stuck literally in any other way in life? Have you been stuck in traffic? Have you been stuck in line at the, at the DMV? 
right? You've experienced being stuck before. I can remember one time that I was stuck. I was, I was at a youth pastor's conference with one of my best friends, Jason, and we were heading from our hotel room uh, into the main speaker segment for like the opening night. And so we were excited for who we were going to hear from and just the things that we were going to learn. And so I remember going from our hotel room uh, to the elevator. And as we get in the elevator, we're talking about, okay, man, like, what are we going to, like, what do, what's tonight going to bring? Like, I wonder what he's going to speak about. And uh, we hit the button to go down, go down to the right floor uh, to get to the main auditorium for this speaker. And uh, as we get to our floor, the elevator kind of does that normal little bit of like a jolt as you land on your floor and the doors don't open up. And we're kind of sitting there looking at each other like, um, hey, what, what is going on? Usually it's like, bing, and the doors open up and nothing's happening. And so I look over at Jason, he looks over at me, and, and I'm like, what? Is this real life? Are we stuck right now on the first night of this conference? Are we stuck in this elevator? How are we going to get out? And so some of you have been there before, maybe not in an elevator, but in, in some other way. And I remember we're, we're sitting there going, okay, what's, what do you do when you get stuck in an elevator? You push the emergency call button. So we push the emergency call button, and nobody answers. So now we're sitting there looking back and forth at each other some more like, what, what are we going to do here? What does this mean for us? Now I want to leave you on a slight cliffhanger. I'm going to leave the story right there, but I'm going to come back to it later. But right now, in that feeling of stuck and the questioning of what are we going to do with this, what does this mean for us, I think it's important that we think about our passage today and we ask ourselves this question. What do I replace a hope in Jesus with? You see, the, the mighty angel asked who was worthy to break the seals and open the scroll. And then we're told that no creation in heaven or on earth or under earth could open the scroll or even look inside it unless you're not the creation and instead you're the creator. And so how often, I can't help but ask myself this question as I read through this passage, how often do I myself, how often do we search our world for other answers? for something or someone other than Jesus to bring us hope or to bring us joy or to bring us purpose or deliverance. And then when those things don't measure up, we're disappointed like we're stuck in an elevator with no way out and the only emergency plan that we had isn't going to show. You see, sometimes our bar of expectations are so high for things that aren't Jesus and so low for, for Jesus himself. And so when we, when we lean into the things that aren't Jesus, we're setting ourselves up for disappointment every single time. It hits me, it strikes me that in this chapter, John is literally being, a, is being shown an image of heaven by Jesus himself, and yet when the question of who's going to open up the scroll comes, and it looks on the surface like the answer is, oh, nobody can do it, John weeps as if forgetting who, who's showing him this glimpse of heaven in the first place. And so when we lean into the things that aren't Jesus, 
I do believe that we're setting ourselves up for disappointment every time. And yet I know that when I put my hope in Jesus, there's this contentment that takes place in my heart, even in the midst of disappointing life events. See, Romans 15, verse 13 says this, may the God of hope fill you with all joy and peace as you trust in him so that you may overflow with hope by the power of the Holy Spirit. Meaning this, meaning that as you put your hope in God, when the life disappointments hit, and they will, we don't have to find ourselves stuck in despair because you understand that disappointment in life is an opportunity for development, that disappointment is an opportunity for development in our relationship with Jesus. It doesn't mean that it won't be hard or that it won't be painful or that it won't be the battle of your life. But God has already won the battle for us, all of us, with Jesus And we get to rest in the hope of knowing that he's already done just that, that he's already victorious. And what else could we possibly want to put our hope in? Because everything else pales in comparison to Jesus. This is where I'm going to pick up my story again. And so my buddy Jason and I are, are back in the elevator. We're sitting there looking at each other going, what do we do? And I know in this moment, I've seen every single Mission Impossible movie possible. And so I'm like, I, we got this. Let's just think about this a little bit. And so I look up at the ceiling of the, of the elevator, and I know that there's tiles there, and that maybe the only option is to bust through the tiles, shimmy our way up onto the top of the elevator, then shimmy our way up the cable until we find an opening in some floor's doors, and we just catapult our bodies from the cable through the opening, and we make it to safety. It's that easy. I've seen it done a million times in Mission Impossible. <laughs> So as I start to tell Jason this is our option, he goes, no, 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 dude, stop, stop, stop talking. He goes, I got this. And I'm like, I got, you got this? What do you, what do you mean? And he takes a step toward the doors that are closed. And I'm like, no, no. Now, my, my buddy Jason, he's a short, stocky little guy, but he did CrossFit like Pastor Ron. So he's like super buff, right? And he takes one step towards those doors and he begins to put his fingers in the cracks of the doors. And I'm sitting there laughing my head off, right? Like this is years ago, so it was just like flip phones back then. So I pull my phone out not to record a video because it's just super fuzzy trying to do that with those phones back then, but to start taking pictures because I'm like, yeah, right, dude, you're not going to open this thing up. So I pull my phone out to try to snag pictures. And as my buddy puts his fingers in the door and starts to pull, something crazy starts to happen. And my face goes from like sheer laughter at this guy to like, oh, (laughs) Because the doors start to tremble. And I see the doors start to open up. And there's this little crack that starts to form in between the two doors. And on the other side of the doors, I like peek through because I can see light on the other side. I see faces on the other side looking through the doors. (laughs) Seeing my buddy manifest himself as the incredible Hulk in the moment. And I, and I go, I turn from his biggest, like the, the, the biggest person mocking him and laughing at him to his biggest fan. I'm back there like, Hercules, Hercules, as he's opening these doors up. 
And all of a sudden, he gets to a spot where the doors go, and they bust open. And the people on the other side, like, take a step back. And my buddy walks out, he takes like one step out, and he's like, sup. That's all he says. And I walk out behind him, I come out right behind him, and I'm like, I'm like, this is my bro, I had confidence, I knew he could do it the whole time, right? And in that moment, I knew I'd witnessed some weird miracle of some sort. But even if it wasn't a miracle, I witnessed something incredible and something amazing. Now, here, please hear this. I'm not comparing my buddy Jason to Jesus because, trust me, he's not. None of us are. And yet, I recognize this about that story, is that my buddy in that moment was always going to triumph in that moment. That, that, that moment was like meant for him. He just was going to triumph in that moment. And I realize this as I think back on that story and as I, in light of that, and I think about our passage that we've read through this morning, I realize that Jesus' sacrifice is undefeated. That Jesus' sacrifice, it will always triumph. The act of Jesus going to the cross triumphs overall because it provides a hope for our lives that doesn't exist in any other way. An everlasting hope. A hope for what the future holds, no matter what the past has brought us. That in spite of the evil we experience in a broken world, one, one has come and provided hope that transcends our time on this earth. Our time in a certain life scenario. Our time in moments of despair. Because he's the lion and the lamb. See, in the moments where we feel like God's not there, he is. In the moments where, like John, we're weeping because we think the end of the story has already been written, the great lion and the sacrificial lamb is still writing the story. And in seasons of hoping God can get us through, he can and he will. In times of doubting that God can deliver, he still does in spite of our unbelief. It might look different than we thought. It might, be, it might be by ripping the doors off of a life situation that we're in, whether we think that situation is good or bad. But he delivers because he's the only one who can, and he's the only one who does, and he's the only one who's undefeated at it. And so this morning, church, I want to wrap up with, this last, with these last few verses because I think it's the best way to wrap up this chapter. And it's a reason it wraps up this way. And so I want to look at verses 11 through 14 with you. In Revelation 5, 11 through 14, it says this. Then I looked, and I heard the voice of many angels, numbering thousands upon thousands and 10,000 times 10,000. They encircled the throne and the living creatures and the elders. In a loud voice, they were saying, Worthy is the Lamb who is slain to receive power and wealth and wisdom and strength and honor and glory and praise. Then I heard every creature in heaven and on earth and under the earth and on the sea and all that is in them saying, to him who sits on the throne and to the lamb be praise and honor and glory and power forever and ever. The four living creatures said amen and the elders fell down and worshiped. 
And so my last takeaway this morning is simply this. We have an opportunity with our lives to worship God today in preparation for heaven tomorrow. The fact of the matter is this, and Pastor Ron already stated this last week, so I'm just going to reiterate it. Heaven will be filled with the worship of God. Meaning this, we're built for it. We're built to worship him. We're meant for it. So let's not wait until that day to figure out how we do that. Instead, I, I believe this, every day is a chance to worship him. That can be through music. That's why we get together and, and we worship together with our team and our community. That can be through music, but it can be beyond that as well. It can be through our every day. It can be through prayer. It can be through a dialogue that exists throughout our every day. That in the moments where we, we, we react in very human ways, that we don't have to act like we're alone in those moments. Instead, we can go, you know what, God? I know I want to react this way, but right now, instead, I'm going to talk to you about it. I believe that's worship of him. Man, it can look like being grateful it can, be look, it can look like being grateful for the great things that have taken place today. Saying, God, thank you for that. It can look like being grateful for the not so great things. Because God maybe just has something better. And so we say, thank you, Jesus, for saving me or protecting me for whatever you just pressed pause on in my life that I thought was the right direction. God, you got something different for me, and I'm just, I'm going to live into that, and I'm going to praise you and thank you for that. And lifting up his name in praise, no matter what the day brings. That looks like worshiping him today, as if we're preparing to worship him in heaven tomorrow. Remembering what he's already done, recognizing what he's doing now, and trusting that he's going to do something new in the future. And singing a new song to him for it. Because he is good. That's what this chapter reminds me of. And I'm grateful for it. Church, will you pray with me this morning as we step back into more opportunity to worship and praise him together. And so God, we come to you this morning. Just grateful for your word. God, there's... there's pieces of your word that don't make sense in the moment as we read it. It don't make sense to us. And God, maybe, maybe it's not supposed to make sense in this moment, and yet we're going to keep coming back to it because it's your word, and it's relevant, and it's living and holy. And so God, the book of Revelation, I'm grateful for. I'm grateful for the ways you've, you give us glimpses into the heaven and the future that you have for us. God, I pray that over every single person in this room this morning, that we can, we can look to you and recognize that you've got great plans for us. God, God, that in the midst of things that are confusing or disappointing, you gave us the one. You gave us the one who's worthy and undefeated. So God, this morning, I'm thankful for you. I'm thankful for your son, Jesus. I'm thankful for, for the Holy Spirit. And God, I'm thankful for the opportunity to simply worship 
And so God, we do that this morning, giving of ourselves, sucking in our pride and saying, God, this is about you, not me. We worship and praise you in all of that. In Jesus' name, amen. Thanks for listening to our podcast today. Check out our app or our website at bridgewaycommunity.org for more messages or to take the sermon one step deeper by downloading the Sermon Discussion Guide. 